In this week's episode of Auto Catcher, we talk about the Toyota recall for the Land Cruiser, Prado, Hilux, and FJ Cruiser. We also talk about bargain car buying to be had after dealers laying off staff and traffic lower than normal. There are some heavy discounts to be had on a wide number of cars. We also talk about Volkswagen launching a new online buying tool and also how car auctions like the Shannon's Classic Auctions are changing in amidst the COVID-19. That and a lot more coming up on this episode. Welcome to the long weekend special edition for Easter. We've got uh, Joel and uh, Mick, uh, well, Mick's taking a break at the moment this weekend. He's with the family, but it's uh, Ash and Joel here. Welcome back, Joel. How was your Easter? Thanks, Ash. Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Just a quiet one, obviously, with uh, current restrictions and everything, but um, did manage to get out into the garden for a little bit of outside time today. But it has been raining. It was miserable for most of the weekend here in Melbourne, so um, didn't feel too bad being inside and uh, getting some uh, quality time in uh, inside with my wife. Oh, that's good. It's uh, It's been a big problem up here in Brisbane. The weather's been perfect, perfect so I think we've, a lot of people here in Brisbane have been struggling with that. Uh, or the ability to to comply with the uh, stay home rules so and the social distancing so it's been but I think uh, most people have been able to get through we managed to survive at home we had a, a themed lunch uh, so it was beach themed so we all got dressed up and had appropriate meals and everything so that was really good um, but yeah again it's uh, really hard with good weather to just to not go for a drive and and uh, even go go to the water so it's uh but it's another week of uh covid19 and uh we'll all we've got another great selection of news as well for everyone so what's uh what's been going on outside of easter what's been uh, going on with you joe uh, i've had a busy week this week i've actually had a bit of work on which is which has been good so um yeah i've been working with the guys at shannon's auctions and and film big three days of filming with them at their um uh, at their Heatherton facility, uh, auction facility here in Melbourne. Um, very easy to uh, s- isolate and uh, social distance. Uh, literally had an entire warehouse to myself, so uh, it was very easy to um, stay away from other people and get all my work done. But, yeah, big three days of um, filming content for them with lots of cool and unusual uh, classic cars, which was, uh, which was a bit of fun. Well, Shannon's is definitely one of those places that see, particularly here in Australia, some of the most interesting and and even rare cars that you don't see very often. Um, So it must be a pretty good experience to to spend some time with those up close yeah it's great they always have a really interesting selection and uh this uh this current batch that's there is is pretty cool there's some uh, interesting stuff i always love going in there and and seeing what i've got to film you know for that for on that day but uh yeah we had uh um three days working across a variety of vehicles and and different uh everything from you know very early model um you know, early mid nineteen hundred stuff to you know current current gen stuff. Uh, Shame that Mick's not on tonight because there was a couple of things that he would have been <laughs> been a fan of being a GM man. So um, yeah, I've yet to send him some pics of of uh, what I was working with this week, but he always loves it when I'm down there. 
uh, photographing the cars. But the other thing I generally try and do is I generally try and grab a, a bunch of pics to send to uh, a couple of schoolmates that we have in a, a sort of a, a, a buddy chat that we have online. And uh, I usually send them a massive picture dump of, of images and uh, they love it. They always love seeing what, you know, what I've been working with and mm. what the cars are. And, yeah, as, as I said, there's such a cross-section of vehicles from, you know, current current classics even you know from you know 80s and 90s stuff Mm -hmm. back to you know early 19th early 1900s uh, era um so yeah it's 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 quite interesting just to just to see the different stuff and how they've you know how they've um lasted and how people have looked after them or you know have have restored them or you know how it just how they've, you know, survived the Australian conditions or whether they've mm. come from overseas mm. and, and things like that. So, yeah, it's always a, a very eye-opening experience being a car person, just seeing a, a variety of stuff, some stuff you may not have even ever seen before or come across. So, um, yeah, it's pretty cool. And most things have a pretty special story given that a lot of these cars either were only ever produced for a short time here in Australia or they've had to find their way somehow from overseas to here, whether it's for somebody moving to Australia or just an avid collector wanting to, to, you know, finally buy that car they've you know they've seen in photos everywhere or grow up with their childhood so there's usually some pretty special stories attached to those cars too yeah and the history behind them as well like there was a there's a there's a mini cooper there that that we were talking about with the the team there and it's literally a a mini that was basically built um like they did back in that in that period around the 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 sort of 50s and 60s where cars were built by the factory be it in the US or Europe and then sent to Australia as a flat pack and literally assembled here um, wow. so there was a Mini Cooper there that was a sort of Australian edition that had been built here but had come from the factory in, in the UK so uh, it's quite interesting you know Australian car history is, is really interesting there's a lot of stuff that people probably aren't aware of prior to us sort of having you know the local manufacturers when we were building Holdens and Fords and Valiants and and things like that. There's a lot of British and American stuff that were built here as well um, and assembled in it for our local market that, you know, a lot of people probably wouldn't really have ever heard about. Yeah. Well, look, if uh, anybody listening wants to see a bit of a sneak peek of uh, what happens behind the scenes, make sure you give Joel a a follow on Instagram or, or Twitter. His uh, handle is Joel Strick Photo, and it's uh, definitely a worthwhile follow. Uh, but let's get stuck into. Oh, before that, oh, I, 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 it's relevant to some of the news, but I guess uh, I'll touch on. So I've been driving the BMW 218i Grand Coupe. It's uh, kind of the similar size and price point. What uh, like think of like the E36 3 Series uh, was hitting back in the late 90s that kind of thing and so it's very reminiscent my, my parents owned one back then and uh when so I, mine as well <laughs> yeah so when i got mum to jump into the passenger seat she was like oh this is very much you know th- this reminds me a lot of that car because yeah naturally cars have gotten slightly bigger and you know the three series and four series are a lot bigger than what they used to be and um so we see a bit a little bit of heritage in that 218i from you know those early E36 E36 days, but um, it's been a really good drive. It 
surprised me a lot. I was expecting something a little bit different. I, I probably wasn't as excited going into, you know, experiencing a front-wheel drive BMW, but i got to say they've done a really good job, whether it's the experience they've built up of having the mini brand, which is front-wheel drive primarily, um, as well as even the active 2 Series, which wasn't really a big sales success here. But it's, you know, building a car like that allows you to build up a little bit of experience as well and what works and what doesn't. And um, so I think they've done really, really well with a really solid package. So this one has like comfort access. So as you walk up to it, the the... It, it isn't. It doesn't just unlock when you grab the handle, but as you physically approach the car without touching it, it will actually unlock the car for you. Um, and as you walk away from the car, it automatically relocks. And um, it's something that I've had to. I've told myself that what's probably going to happen next week when I jump into another car <laughs> is I'm going to forget to lock it because <laughs> I'm just you expecting so the car to, to. Yeah, and and so, and it comes back to what we'll talk about last week where. It's those things that limit having to touch your key and do all, all of those sorts of things that really help in this time at the moment um, where everyone's crazily washing their hands and hand sanitizing, which is really important. And so it's those little things that have been really handy right now. But so this has that comfort access. It has the panoramic sunroof. And um, as it sits, it's manufacturer listed price is about 53,000 which I think is really really fair it is it's not going to give you a ton of performance it's got about 103 kilowatts under the hood but it is it drives nicely it sounds all right um, out of its single exhaust I'm, I'm glad they haven't gone for split exhaust or gone a little bit over the top they've kept it fairly um, modest in that respect and I think it works really really well the digital displays are really nice the leather the steering wheel it's all exactly what you'd expect from BMW at the moment which is which is actually quite quite good it has wireless carplay it has wireless charging that does fit most phones now in cars like the x1 that i recently drove that is still on that slightly it's like a step behind in the bmw's design language that that couldn't fit anything like a an iphone you know, 11, 11 Pro or 8 Plus or anything like that. Any of the Plus phones or the larger phones just would not fit at all. This it's one is still they, not... They aren't designing it to fit this, this bigger style of phone. Yeah, so in the 2 Series, which is has all of the latest stuff, it still isn't absolutely perfect, but it is way better. Um, so it's in a much better spot in the car. It's now below the center dash which is good it still has a funny lip that it needs if it was just a smidge wider because if the phone sits in landscape it doesn't fit in portrait mode so it sits on its side it just fits so i've got a, a phone i've got the i've got a 7 plus with me and a huawei p30 pro and the p30 pro is a very tall phone but and it just barely fits and um, so whilst it obviously will be able to do everything, it, it's just one of those things of if you have a really big phone, you just have to be conscious of it. Um, but it is a, a big step improvement over what they've done in the past. So that's really nice. But overall, I've really enjoyed it. The It has the BMW connected app. So you can see you, things like your fuel level. You can lock and unlock the car from just your, your phone. You don't need to have. Um, so if, if you're in, in your apartment and you go, ah, oh, did I close? 
close the sunroof or are all the windows up all the way or did I lock the car? Um, You can just check on your phone and it'll actually tell you the status of what windows are open or if they're all closed and everything like that. So, that's really nice. Um, But one thing which I did find a little bit odd is... And I was quite surprised when I when I stumbled across this, is that it seems like BMW is going is, is playing with the idea of almost like the the Tesla model the Tesla business model of building in the hardware into you know the base car, but actually having it un you know unlockable as a as a as a payment upgrade. So things like the auto high beam, um, it has the button there. It has obviously the the hardware in there to allow it to happen. But when you hit that button on the stalk, it actually says it's an acquirable upgrade. And so you need to go through the BMW connected store and pay to unlock that feature. Which I don't know how I feel about it because on one hand, well, the hardware is already built in. I know that software is a slightly different thing. It's, you know, the same. There's a whole heap of arguments around, you know, is well, software, there is a value to the software itself, not just the hardware. But at the very basic, I think most people are going, well, it's 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 in there. Why can't I use it? Um, where unlike before, you know, if, if, if your car didn't have a feature, well, there wouldn't be a button there for it. It would be a blank space. So, that's one thing where I'm... I, I don't know how I feel about it. I understand it if it allows the car to be sold at a cheaper price point because, let's be honest, not everybody uses that auto high beam feature. There's, it, um, you know, If you're living in the city, you'll probably never touch your high beams. But if you're living out in a little bit more rural areas, you'd use your high beams a lot and having auto high beam can be a really handy feature. So I can understand that argument on that side, but at the same time, it's like, oh, that... When I hit it that first time, I was like, oh, why isn't this working? And then I read the screen and then, uh, I felt a little bit annoyed at first. But, um, yeah, that was just a little bit of an oddity that I found. And um, I'm not sure if I entirely agree with it. But the rest of the car, I have to say I love it. I, I If you're chasing performance, go for the M235i. But I think for most people that are you know looking for a car about this size, the 218 throw on the M Sport package and the comfort access and the, and the sunroof, the spec that I've got it in, almost perfect uh, for that type of car. So, in overall, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's a, they're a good-looking thing. I think I saw a bunch of them on a, on a back of a truck just prior to the launch uh, here in Melbourne. And, um, yeah, they look really good. They're, they're a nice shape, um, and I like the design of them. I think BM's come a long way in the last couple of years with the design across the boards. Having driven the current Gen 1 series, I love that thing. Yeah. I love the – I mean, I drove mm. really like the M135, which is obviously all-wheel drive. It's not front-wheel drive yeah. like the two. Um, but, yeah, you know, I've got, just had a friend who's just bought a – uh, what did he buy? He replaced his um, other SUV with the um, X3 M40i um, mm-hmm. SUV, nice. which is yeah, which is a brilliant, rocket brilliant ship. little thing, and yeah, absolute rocket ship. And um, I've driven the you know the other end of the spectrum. I've driven the X7 as well, and that's a, a brilliant, brilliant car mm-hmm. as well. But yeah, they're, they're, I think the the design style of, of the of the family across the range now in Beam is just so appealing. No matter yeah. what model you look at, everything's got really set of nice lines. And I think with this 
this particularly this current June, but also the the previous ones that are slowly now obviously being uh, updated. The infotainment system has come a massive way, and it's such a really nice infotainment system in the cars, and just the way that the the console has been designed and everything's really mm-hmm. easy to find and the custom you know being able to customize the the screens uh and have your own setup of what you want uh i think it's really really cool i think they've, they've done they've done really well absolutely and i do like that they've kept the iDrive controller yeah. um having the iDrive controller particularly when you're driving i find it works with carplay as well so carplay is a touch first um, experience but it is compatible so what you can scroll through and select things using the iDrive dial which is really nice because when you're driving using a touchscreen is really hard if you're trying to view a map or change a screen change a radio station I find touchscreens they're not at perfect there they're not there yet in terms of providing I guess a minimizing distraction and minimizing time that you have to focus off it compared to a button which is a tactile experience you can feel and go oh yeah that's the up and down um so having the iDrive controller is really nice it is nice to be able to fall back on that when you are driving and and want to stay focused on the road but you do want to change a radio station or you want to adjust a setting or anything like that because BMW and the iDrive, you can do a lot of adjustments with those screens like you mentioned or there's so much information you can have. They do have some of the BMW connected apps are really, really great in terms of the information. So you can get hyper-local weather information as well. So based on where you are and also where you're going. So they it pull it uses your phone and things like that to get that data. But but it, it presents it in a really nice way that you and it gives you information that you can't get through things like CarPlay. And so they've come a really long way and I think being almost guilt-tripped into including CarPlay in for free I think gives everyone the best of both worlds where you can use CarPlay to, to do your main maps and navigation. I, I know a lot of people prefer that as well as managing your text messages and your phone calls. But to get that other information together, uh, your trip, infor- trip information and car information, yeah, it's they've done a really good job. And having that second digital dash as well um, gives you just that little bit more information to dive into. So yeah, they've done a done a really good job with that. And um, yeah, it's going to be a shame that I haven't been able to drive it as much as I really had hoped. Um, but. Yeah, it's one of those things where, particularly over this long weekend, um, the police have really been stepping up their efforts in identifying people who are traveling for non-essential reasons. Um, there's still plenty of reasons, and they clarified that over just today um, in Queensland in particular, where there was a, I think there was a bit of confusion over, well, what is strictly allowed in terms of essential travel and non-essential travel, etc., Um, And they have clarified that pretty much if you're traveling to any business that is open, that is okay. Obviously, you still need to have somewhat of a reason to be going and going for a walk through the shop probably wouldn't really classify as a valid reason. Um, But if you're needing to go to the the tip or anything like that to drop off rubbish, that's now deemed as as an acceptable reason where before um, people were being fined for that. But when I did pick up the car, because it is work, I'm I'm still able to go around and and drive and um, take photos and things like that. 
but it is. Um, I did. I did have a, an interesting exchange with. Uh, I was up at uh, Mount Cutha taking some photos with the city in the background, and um, there were another couple of people. Um, who had obviously come in separate cars and then were sitting in the back of um, of, a, of, a, of an Astra that was there. And um, I saw a police car drive up the hill and then um, I thought, oh, how long is it going to be until they turn around? And I was half expecting these other people to um, to pack up and take off because, you know, everyone saw the car go past. And um, unfortunately for those, they um, the police car came back around and uh, drove past me and stopped it and had a chat to those people. And um, obviously, yeah, they were deemed to not uh, be there for an essential reason or asked to move on. And um, they were a bit slow, so they ended up actually both getting a getting a thirteen hundred dollar fine, and um, and then even though I knew I was there for a perfectly valid reason, you can't help but think, oh, well, does am I really okay? Am I, you know, you start to doubt yourself, even though you've gone through and you made sure that you're, you know, you're following all of the rules. I, I didn't have any other photographer with me; it was just me um, to to be as responsible as I can. And um, the police officer walks over to me, and we start to have a bit of a chat. And um, yeah, he and it was it wasn't no problem. He said, "Look, just don't stop around for too long. Just uh, keep driving. You'll be okay." Um, but when having a chat to him about you know how busy things were, and he said, "Yeah, look, it's it's pretty full on because for them." There's a twofold. There's one of um, with with a lot of people losing their jobs. There's a lot, there's a lot of stress on a lot of people right now. That security is is one thing which they're worried about and why they're patrolling. But also mm-hmm. another thing is to also identify people who really shouldn't be out on the road. Um, and I know that we've mentioned it briefly. There's a lot of people out there talking about well, there are perfectly valid reasons, you know, for health and and things like that to go for it a drive, um, particularly if you're not hopping out to go anywhere. Um, but at the moment, it's just important to remember that, you know, at the moment, it's not really deemed as an essential thing. So, go for a walk, go for a go for a run in your local area um, to get some exercise, clear your head and that kind of thing. Um, play a video game, go for a virtual drive, um, whether it be with a controller or with a steering wheel that, you know, it's not exactly the same, but it, it, it could help. Um, but yeah, it is. It did just um, you know, it was interesting to just to have that conversation around and, and to get a bit of understanding from the police perspective as well, as to you know, it is it is a stressful time for them as well because you know they're not really sure a lot of the people you know they're going to be talking to. Not everyone is you know in a in a great state of mind, or not everyone you know is uh you know uses common sense as much as we you know would generally think. No, exactly. And that's the thing is, you know, we're seeing it down here in Victoria that this weekend leading into Easter, they were very, you know, very public about saying that if you if you don't need to be out on the roads, that you shouldn't be um, traveling, you know, outside of your designated um, residence and that you shouldn't be mm-hmm. traveling to holiday home destinations and stuff like that. And even if you have a holiday home, you know, that, you know, to think twice about, it, about going to that if it's not your primary place of residence and... Um, you know, it's it's yeah, it's it's pretty pretty scary. Like for a lot of people that I know, they're finding it very hard being cooped up at home and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. uh, it's it, it can be pretty full on. I suppose as much as I mean, I was kind of lucky. I was out working all week, so you know, I spent sort of three days out 
from home and yeah, my job in, entails me to I can't really do it from home I can do parts of it from home but a fair <laughs> percentage of it is you know away from is I'm a mobile office I have to be wherever the yeah. work is and so yeah. I didn't have a problem being at home and I uh, but I can understand a lot of people that probably have been working and living at home and stuff like that you want to get out and, and do that mm-hmm. and I can understand the frustration but look these rules are here for a reason and, and you know that we've seen a bit of news over the weekend that what we're doing is working and it is helping us as a, as a country to, to fight right. this battle. So yeah. uh, as painful as it is, we need to keep staying home as much as we can, you know. Um, and, and fuel prices are tempting. It, it does, yeah. you know, it is you know, making people think twice going, oh, look, that uh, fuel prices are, are good at the moment. But, yeah, it, it is one of those things that... Not everyone might agree with them, but it is just at the moment. Um, yeah, it, it. We haven't really faced anything like this in modern times. We haven't really faced anything like this before. Um, I think everybody would prefer to go back to some sort of normality. Yeah. Um, I know I certainly would, even though you know I have a bit more of a reason to, to be able to review cars and to pick up new cars and to you know swap cars over. I have to. I have to drive. I, I can't just. Um, you know, as, as every time I have a good-looking car, I don't mind just leaving on the driveway, but I'd very much prefer just to be out and driving it um, wherever. Um, I know there's other journalists out there who've got four-wheel drives, and they can't go and uh, yeah. do what they normally do out so in the national parks. So many of the national park parks to, are closed and yeah, stuff like that. So, I can, you know, or even take it to so a racetrack. Frustrating. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, I've got so, guys um, and friends that have got race cars that are dying to dying to get out there and 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 you know get out there and use them. Um, but you know, it's one of those things. It's it's so hard to. I know we all want to do the right thing. We're all finding it really hard. But you know, the the, the sooner we. Um, the sooner we get over this, the sooner we can get out amongst it and, and be able to re-enjoy, you know, our hobbies and, and vehicles and stuff like that. But That's right. Um, we'll get there eventually. I think, I think we'll be finding a lot of people using uh, their their show cars, weekend cars, special cars um, for doing the odd uh, shopping trip. That's for sure. I know certainly yeah. some people have uh, taken their their registered track cars down to their local Woolies simply just to give it a run and to at least have something fun to do um, to break up the the isolation. So it's a yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. But um, but look, we've got a ton of other news as well. We want to want to get through. We want to yeah, we appreciate um, our listeners, but we also it, it is still a long weekend, and uh, so we'll try and get through some of these news as quickly as we can. Uh, so first up, uh, locally, we've got um, so Toyota have issued a recall for the Land Cruiser 200, the Prado, Hilux, and FJ Cruiser um, for a faulty fuel pump. So it's uh, probably a good time to get a recall. Um, at the moment, it's a, the dealerships are definitely uh, needing some work, and so that's probably that's probably an upside of having this recall at the moment. Yeah, exactly. This sort of stuff, um, being able to get into dealerships. Um, I got an email from the manufacturer of my vehicle at the moment just saying that, you know, their dealerships are open and that if you want to come in and you want to buy a car, we'll, we'll work around your system to, to mm. be able to get in. But, yeah, having a... Um, having a recall and trying to get it sorted, as long as they've got enough... Um, 
you know, <laughs> loan vehicles and stuff to fix it. But, yeah, this is the perfect time to, yeah. to get your car in, particularly, obviously, you know, they've got things like faulty fuel pumps are an issue, but um, mm-hmm. even if you haven't had your Takata done, this would be um, probably a good time to try and get that done yeah. as well because, so the- obviously... Yeah, so this recall affects about 45,000, 45,500 cars. Um, and so what they say, the recall concern, uh, the, the concern of the fuel pump is that the uh, intake low pressure fuel pump can cease operating and cause the vehicle to stall, run roughly, at least light up the dash with warning lights. Um, so at least, if anything, you'll be able to tell you've got a problem if you've got your car lighting up like a Christmas tree during Easter, that's a good sign that something might not be right. And um, if you're driving one of those cars, it's worth um, jumping on the the ACC website, um, the product safety website, to to look up the recall to see if you're affected, or Toyota should be in touch to let you know um, if your car is part of that recall. But Toyota will replace those fuel pumps free of charge. Most manufacturers will, will reach out as soon as they can yeah. to yeah. tell you this sort of stuff. So they're generally pretty good. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, there doesn't look like to be any concerns of stock or anything at the moment. Um, well, it's not at least uh, um, listed here in uh, the Witch Car article that we've got up. Um, but, yeah, so that's just one thing. If you own a, a Land Cruiser 200 Series Prado Hilux or FJ Cruiser that was built between, I had it right here, between 2013 and 2019, it uh, it's worth looking it up and seeing if you're part of that recall. But next up, uh, so, look, it seems like we spoke about it a little bit last week with the VFAX figures, but I saw an article... Uh, new story on this afternoon about bargain car buying. So it seems like a few dealers across the nation um, are definitely starting to feel that pinch now. Um, and so we'll be interested to see the April VFAX figures. But so a lot of dealers are, are letting off um, or laying laying off a number of staff at the moment or even uh, I saw one example of um, a multi-car dealership closing down some of their showrooms and consolidating that stock um, into other areas just because of um, obviously there's a lack of traffic. So on the flip side, that does mean um, that there's going to be a, a number of heavier discounts out there to be found so um one dealer i think uh here in brisbane was demonstrating it could be anywhere between 20 23 and 27 percent of a discount which is pretty significant yeah um particularly when it uh you know that's pretty huge for brands that aren't doing a fire sale like holden and uh moving stocks so that's uh it's a really good opportunity if you are in the market or if you know if you, if you are in the position to be looking at a new car, now is a really good time to be doing it, um, particularly before any, if there are any further concerns about stock or anything like that because of the factory shutdown at the moment. Now's a yeah, good time. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what, like we were talking about last week, with VFAX and stuff coming into April, what, what actually has been selling and stuff like that. But, I mean, obviously things that have had a long sort of delay and, and have been um, already on order for a while that sh- mm-hmm. you know they probably consider coming through that in the next month worth of sales. But, yeah, if you – and there's obviously that um, uh, government – uh, or tax advantage if you want to buy something to to offset it as well. So um, it could be interesting to see what you know what gets sold in that respect. But if you're in the market and 
and you know you, you were considering looking before this and there may be you know some good bargains coming over April May mm-hmm. even into June depending on you know when this all begins to to lift that's right and it's worthwhile um, if you are looking at doing a deal um, paying attention to there's, there's different ways that you can negotiate and um, we're not going to give a full-on lesson right now, but essentially there, there are ways that you can um, even negotiate a better deal and one of them is is identifying usually when you go in to buy a car, there'll be a number of things that dealers will love to, to add on um, as aftermarket accessories or things like paint protection or tinting or anything like that. And... Um, Usually, a lot of people think that they can, you know, if they walk in and um, say that they want to pay cash, and um, you know, if the if the ticket says twenty three thousand, well, if we offer them nineteen, well, we'll just go back and we'll find a middle ground. Now, that's one way to negotiate, but um, usually, I've found um, having a little bit of experience in that space and, and talking to a few different people, the best way is to actually look at those extras that you were going to buy anyway so if you are wanting to get the car tinted um and you want to do it prior to being you know prior to taking to delivery and not having to go to a third party or anything like that use those add-on sell you know those things which the dealer will love to sell you as your bargaining opportunity that's where dealers normally have extra margin that's why they typically sell them um and attach them because when they're selling a car cars actually don't really carry a huge margin and so that's why they will add on these separate separate products but that's where the opportunity to identify exactly what you're wanting so if you do want the tint well get an idea of what a reasonable cost to get your car tinted from you know companies like show off your tint or tint a car or anything like that and then Come back to to the dealer and so and and know roughly in your mind. Well, that's the price point that you want to hit, and also know that if you are going to be financing, dealers will typically do a fairly competitive deal because they will usually get a commission and everything through that. So it's always worth worthwhile knowing that you can negotiate a better price or a better overall deal with when you fund if you are financing your weekly repayments and everything like that. Um, that you can get a better deal by by looking at those things and not just the final price of the car. So whilst every deal is going to be different, every every finance package is going to be different, so um, we're not giving absolute gospel advice, but it's always worthwhile knowing that if you are going to be buying a car and negotiating isn't your strongest factor, it's just those key things that are going to really help you when it comes to, to buying a car and, and getting the best price or, you know, at the end of the day, the best value um, for what you're wanting. Yeah, exactly. Talking to them and just figuring out what, you know, where you're going to be, how you're going to package mm-hmm. it, um, mm-hmm. you know, leasing options, all that sort of stuff will go to help making, you know, a deal better than than what it can be when you add everything up, when you're adding yeah. extra stuff like, like you said, like tinting and things like that. And it's also worthwhile knowing, so we did an article in the Velocita magazine talking about um, understanding things like even model year, make year, and um, compliance date. So they're three different dates, particularly at this point of 2020, where there will be some dealers that will still have um, 2018 or 2019 stock floating around. That um, That's where also you can get some great deals because... 
that car may not have changed significantly to the 2020 model, but because it's got a 2019 or 2018 date printed on it, um, obviously on paper, it's not going to be as desirable. So that also is an area to either be a little bit more wary of if um, if they're saying there is a, a model year 20 vehicle versus a 2020 build car, um, because what a model year means is that it's a, a period um, of time which the manufacturer deems as their 2020 model, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's built during 2020. Normally, model year 20 cars start, you know, would have been built anywhere from October um, or even earlier sometimes. I know American cars tend to be even earlier than that. It's generally August, Um, September, I think, for some of those. Yeah. And then it's also worthwhile noting the compliance date. So sometimes um, a car will be will be represented that it's a compliance date 2020 car. And what compliance date means is that that is the date the car has arrived in Australia. So it's you know it's been on a boat for three months or from yeah coming from Europe or coming from from Japan or anything like that. And it's finally arrived in Australia and it's come through the essentially you know the the import office here in Australia at the at the dock where that car gets a plate affixed to to say that yes this car meets the Australian design rules and it meets the compliance rules for Australia and so that will be dated when that car is complied so typically the order which you'll see in in scale of um of of soonest to latest is really build build date will be first and then model year and then compliance date. That's typically the order that it um, will happen. And it's just one of those things, again, um, that's where you can get some really good value if you are able to identify and, and see. Most Sometimes there'll be a demo that is a, a 2019 car, but it's an MI20. Um, so, yeah, we've got that article up. I'll, I'll inc- post a link um, for people to, to watch it. But it is also an area just to be careful of and also an area where you can also get a little bit of extra value as well. Um, but it also looks like so into aid um, dealers, it seems like Volkswagen has launched an online buying tool. So this is one of those things where maybe the best value won't be had. I know if you have a look at the Volkswagen, so it's a way to allow um, people essentially just to go through three steps to, to find the Volkswagen which they want to buy. Um, so you can build and price your vehicle, whether you want red or white or you know larger wheels or anything like that. You select which dealer that you would want to pick your your car up from, and then essentially you just place your deposit. So it's it's pretty good, pretty straightforward. <laughs> Means you don't have to meet anybody, you don't have to touch anything. Um, but if you know which vehicle you're after, that's a that's a really good way to get the exact car that you want. Um, and they do have some exclusive online offers, but obviously it, it seems like the, um, the, the room for negotiating might not be as, as might, oh, might not be there. Um, compared to going into a dealer, a dealer directly um, to But it's to only negotiate. $500 deposit too, which is pretty yeah. good. Yeah. So it means if there is a car exactly that meets everything that you want and it's at a price that you're happy with, well, you know, that's probably the most straightforward way to do it. Yeah, for sure. And it's good to see. It's good to see at least more options because this is probably the one thing we've been lacking a lot is just an option to do an online transaction to buy a car. 
you can buy everything else online, but you can't. It hasn't been really easy to buy a car online. But there's more and more people getting involved in it these days, so it's becoming more and more common. And I think um, we're seeing, you know, some of the dealerships like, you know, or brands like Subaru and Genesis and stuff that have had these mm-hmm. pop-up showrooms and things like that. Yeah. You know, they're fully aware and and are harnessing that idea to allow for people to to understand how it's going to work and and how it'll work in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's really good to see. It's um, obviously something that they've launched uh, to just like many other brands at the moment uh, to respond to the, the, the growing restrictions and, and opportunities um, and challenges that are present presented during um, COVID-19. But it's um, hopefully hopefully this is something that will will stick um, for the long term because it's a, it's a really nice thing to have um, that simplifies the buying process for a lot of people. So another way of buying cars that is changing is the car auctions. And um, obviously, they've been doing online things for a little while, but a a big part of auctions is also having people there in the auction house. Uh, Joel, as we mentioned, you've been doing some work with Shannon's and their auctions. Um, So what have you seen change with them um, in, in reacting to, I guess, this changing world at the moment? The biggest change we've noticed is obviously the restrictions around public gatherings. You know, there was the first restrictions of reducing numbers to 500 and then obviously to 100 and then to 10 and then to 2. So it's made it very hard for auctions to, on well, literally, you know, in-person auctions to continue. So the guys of Shannon's have reacted to that um, and have gone, created an, a timed online auction for which was to be their next two um, Melbourne and Sydney, or well, the next two auctions, which was a Melbourne and Sydney one, and have combined mm-hmm. them together into a, an online timed auction, which begins um, the end of next month. So from around the twentieth. So is that of like May. an eBay style auction where it's yeah, it'll be a timed auction. It'll be the same okay. set of so it'll count down, and you'll be able to log in and have a look and 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 bid on the on the lots. And so I've been working with them, helping to create some video content um, around uh, around the auctions, like I normally do, but. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so we've been working with that. Um, I mean, normally I, I help with the live streaming of the auctions on auction night, um, but that's obviously you know now now not possible. So yeah, the online time auction is the is the best option for people to be able to jump on and and you know sit, look at the vehicles and and be able to bid on them online. And you know, there's a full gallery of images and and inspection reports and all that sort of stuff coming. So. Um, the team is working, you know, at the moment to to, to bring all that up. But yeah, it, it certainly changes the way that people traditionally have been able to to come in and look at, particularly the sort of the inspection weekends. You know, you've been able to come down and have a look and and see the cars and and, and have a look over them. Um, but you know, they they'll be able to. Um, you'll be able to see a fair bit of detail in, in what they have, and the guys always do a great job with covering off most of the details. And the inspection reports are always really, really good to to see, um, as well. Of you know, they have a, a mechanic go over them and, and give you a report. I always find it interesting if there's a car that I see at the auction. I generally always, um, if they're available, have a look at them there. The inspection report, or check it out online once they. they they put it up just to see mm. what mechanics said to say about it. And there was a car I was looking at a while back and um, I went through it and had a look and the inspection report was interesting. And, you know, there was a, there was a couple of niggling little things about it, but it's always good to see what it is that, that, you know, that may or may not be, you know, a problem with the car or can be an easy fix 
after you buy it. But yeah, it's um, <laughs> some pretty cool stuff coming up in the next two auctions. Some some very eclectic stuff that you know normally you wouldn't see. And like the mini I was talking about before, the Aussie mini, and um, there's a bunch of bikes and and all kinds of stuff from US muscle to you know. Um, iconic british stuff italians germans um there's a really nice hsv in there as well so yeah this you know this online time auction is a great way for people just to be able to to buy the cars and it's not every day that you get you know a 72 plymouth barracuda come up for sale or you know even a a chevy roadmaster that's had a lot of money spent on it and is in immaculate condition um there's even a hg you know panel wagon for sale as well so um yeah everyone is learning to adapt in these in these times and and be able to like we've seen with dealerships being able to sell cars and look after you know service lexus is offering the ability at the moment to for people to to have cars dropped off to 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 home and they'll take your car away and service it and leave your loan car if you do need to go out so Mm. it's just another part of what we're seeing you know we've seen the ford have taken their ability with their you know their dealership network to what they've been doing with the second car option if you're a if you're a ford owner you've had that ability to 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 get hold of a a second car for a week at a time if if you if you have a mustang and you need an suv for a week or something like that you can do that but ford have opened that up to frontline healthcare workers which is a great idea you know to be allowed to allow them to have um the, the access to essential transport if they need it um it's great to see i mean so many places now are really looking after our health our healthcare workers that you know are the front line of trying to battle mm-hmm. this virus and it's great mm-hmm. to see another brand like ford you know being able to look after them Absolutely. And uh, a lot of these brands are stepping up in, in different ways um, to do it. Ford doing it in, in uh, obviously, a, in a way that allows healthcare workers the option to use a, a different car to what their family is using. I guess it's one way to, to look at it as if because um, members of their family will still need to go to the shops and to, you know, get supplies and things like that. So um, it gives another option to, to, you, to keep that vehicle separate. Um, as well, which is great, or to give just a, a better or even safer option to travel to work because not everyone lives near their work, and so and and can sometimes rely on public transport to get there. So providing um, an alternative option at no charge, obviously, yeah, can go a long way for some people to help them out. But just touching on those auctions, just uh, just quickly again, do you think that the the prices which they're going to see or, or the success of the auctions, are, do you think it could be better or, or is it going to be different going to online only with these timed auctions? I think it'll be interesting to see. I think it'll be, you know, there may be slow to bid. You may not get any bids to begin with um, and it may just be this massive rush at the end. Um you know, the system will allow you to do a couple of different ways of being able to bid and things like that. But I think the it'll be really interesting to watch when it comes down to the final, you know, sort of final hour and stuff like that. Mm. Those that really want to, to buy something, I think we might see a, a real sudden intake of, of, of bidders. Uh, and I think it'll be, you know, particularly for particular cars and, and the way the market is, um, I think we'll see certain stuff go for for really good money. Um, you know, this auction is also um, plates as well, and and and, and number plates particularly. <laughs> 
that I've paid attention to in Victoria and New South Wales, um, the, the number plate business is massive and it, it's really interesting, particular configurations that people are sought after, people that mm. obviously you know like certain ca- um, number combinations. I think that'll be, again, really, really uh, interesting to watch. Generally, they are some of the most sought after plates at, at auctions and some of the most um, highly fought auctions in terms of just bidders bidding against each other and mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and numbers well, generally one combination, rise. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and that's the thing is that certain combinations, you know, people like to have or have always wanted. If it's a sentimental number or it's a number they believe it brings good luck or something like that, it, it, it's really interesting to, to see those so i think they will be really interesting to watch i think the cars will will be you know traditionally when the auctions are held there's phone there's online and then there's obviously the floor bidding but all being rolled into online bidding i think it'll be really really interesting to watch that the numbers i think particularly in that that last you know the last day or so or even in the in the last few hours i think it'll be quite aggressive in terms of you know the bidding will be there people want something and you know you really don't want to put your bid in and end up missing out by a small amount so i yeah. think in that in those final minutes i think it'll get pretty high mm-hmm. yeah well it'll be interesting to see um obviously online auctions aren't new to cars there's there's plenty of um there's tons of auctions around the world that do this but it is a big a, a big departure for something like shannon's in particular to to really miss out on i guess one of the things that makes the shannon's auction so so interesting and so so great to see um is the excitement that the auction is can build around um around these cars and to really show a way to highlight um how special these particular vehicles are or what makes this you know those particular cars quite notable um so yeah it's it's going to be an interesting journey and um hopefully it opens up to a wider market as well because not everyone obviously has the ability to physically get there um and potentially could see it by changing to this model at the moment or been forced to um could see a, a wider range of of owners being attracted um, or potential buyers attracted to to those auctions. So it will be, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see and uh, hopefully uh, some good results, particularly during this uh, challenging time. Yeah, it'll be, it's going to be very interesting to watch. Mm. So moving on to some international news now. Um, just recently, the World Car Award winners were announced and um spoilers uh, the world car winner is a car that we won't get to see here in australia it's the uh kia telluride i'm not sure if i'm pronouncing that right but it's a it's a brilliant looking suv um it's won a couple of awards over in the u.s where it is available and um it beat out the mazda cx30 and the mazda 3 um they were the two other finalists there are a wide range of different finalists um but the favorite the 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 car expected to win the porsche take on actually um didn't make it to the to the finest for world car of the year, but did take away the the award for world luxury car and world performance car. Um, 
So it's a, it was a pretty interesting set of awards. We don't really see these World Car Awards correlate into vehicle sales um, on the most part, particularly here in Australia. This... Um, the way the World Car Awards tend to work uh, bring journalists from all over the world together and they'll um, what they'll do is evaluate these cars against these different criteria, and um, it's a huge undertaking and um, but this is how these World Car Awards come together is to acknowledge um, when you put people from different markets together different experts from different different markets um, what is the collective um, thoughts behind yeah what they deem um, the best car in each of these categories. It's interesting, yeah, the Telluride, which is an unbelievably awesome-looking yeah, SUV. I know a couple good. of journos in the US that have driven it, and they love it. Telluride is actually the name of a city in Colorado. That's where it gets right, its name okay. from. I did not um, know that. No, so it's Kia and Hyundai have, have generally named a lot of some of their vehicles after towns uh, mm-hmm. and things like that. It is a um, tough looking SUV. It is. It good. is. It's a great. It's a great looking yeah. thing. And when they first launched them, um, some of the um, generally things like SEMA and some of those event shows, you you see some really well built, tough looking things, and, and mm-hmm. it's a, it's a really good looking car. So to see that winner, particularly for n- not just a. Not just a city SUV, but a but a, a like an off road SUV to take out the World yeah. Car of the Award. I mean, this is probably what we're going to see sort of in the future. But you know, as you and I were talking about prior to the show, Ash, there's some really interesting results. I mean, looking at the point score, the the Telluride did actually win by you know by by decent points, but up against the the CX30 and the Mazda 3, which are both good looking Mazda vehicles of their current design. Mm-hmm technology or design look um, is really good looking cars but if you look at across the board at some of the other the vehicles obviously you mentioned the Taycan which w- was probably a favorite but it took out world luxury car and it was mm. up against its mm. its its sister car the 911 and also the Mercedes-Benz uh, EQC um, but then performance car all three finalists in the performance car were Porsches. So mm. Taycan also looked, took out World Performance Car as well as World Luxury Car, but was up against the 911, but also up against the 718 Porsche Boxster. And, you know, that's uh, it's interesting. And then you look at the the urban car of the year was the Kia Soul e- EV, and I have a soft spot for the, the Soul. I've always liked it. And the fact I do too, yeah. The fact that it's now an EV, I think, is really, really cool. But, you know, the, the T-Cross, which is from VW, was was second in that class. Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. the Mini Cooper SE Electric. So two electric cars in urban car, an urban car, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, urban cars generally, you know, are, uh, electric cars are perfect for that. Um, having not seen or driven a T-Cross, um, I'm very keen to see what that thing is like. Um, Me too. I know the Soul EV has done pretty well in the US and has been pretty popular. I don't think we have a earmark for our market as yet, but it would be interesting to see it come here. But again, where's it going to price? I think is probably the biggest thing is if we can get a price that would it would sell well um, in Oz, I think it would probably do quite well. But um, again, it's all going to come down to to that to that price at, at the well, end of the day. We're starving. We're starving for more well priced electric cars in that in that small urban market and they do and they certainly do exist it shows you know even with these two we've got the soul ev and the, and the cooper se electric mm. which um, we have the but, cooper se we have yeah. the electric we have here yeah but there's just a lot of other electric vehicles in that smaller the the e-tron audis um the a3 e-tron the volkswagen golf electric 
Um, there's just cars that we don't see here, which they do have in the US, and, they, and they're selling so well. If you, if you, yeah. well, you probably don't want to be in the US at the moment, but when you're over in the US, you can't help but notice how many hybrids and how many electrics are getting around, even in parts like South Carolina and other parts that aren't major metropolitan cities or anything like that. And but it's just so works. surprising. Oh, the, the charging, the charging network network is getting way better. better. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's fields ahead what we have. But they also are providing incentive, financial incentive to purchase those vehicles and, and also encouraging manufacturers to produce those vehicles or make those those vehicles available. And if you look at it from a business point of view, there's no incentive really to bring those vehicles here because, A, they're going to be priced in a spot that probably isn't going to be the market isn't going to be willing to pay. The charging network isn't there and there's going to be a need, a lot of investment. And I don't think brands at the moment, if you look at the economy, brands are going to be really uh, willing to to invest in that charging network when they could just as easily sell a, a petrol version. Um, and so in our population. So scales of economy is still, that's that's a factor to consider. So it is it is a real shame, um, but it also is really promising to see that, and it, it is certainly a sign that when you have so many, you know, an increasing number of electric cars, you know, coming into those world performance, you know, the world car awards. Um, and if you look at the Porsche Taycan was in the World Car Design of the Year. It was a finalist World Performance Year, World Performance Car. It won World Luxury Car. It won, um, and so it's certainly a time. Uh, it's showing that it's time for electric cars that are, they're not just there because brands want them to be there, but it's they're also there, and they're coming out with really good products. And it's really interesting to see that the brand that's been really leading that charge, Tesla didn't make it to these finals. Um, I think that's interesting to see um, and that it is probably something that I think journalists have been talking about for a long time where the biggest threat from Tesla isn't isn't anything else but other car makers being, waking up to the fact that EVs are, are a good business option and um, that be, a lot of them have been building cars for you know, 100 years. And so they know how to build a car. It's just applying a, an electric drivetrain to them really is the challenge um where yeah, tesla are still, their, their challenge is they're, they're just they're still learning how to build a car and how to how to scale that that production um you know and and they're making great cars but they're not there a hundred percent um with everything um but again on the flip side it's really promising to see so you know these electric cars really competing and and you know they're competing against great cars the Porsche 911 the Porsche 78 uh, amazing cars but you know it's an electric car that's that's coming in and, and and winning that battle which is uh and and this is coming from you know 86 different journalists around the world and journalists tend to be the ones that are really you know um typically you know aren't the biggest fans of electric cars because they pretty much stand for everything opposite that a motoring enthusiast turned car journalist really believes in and stands for and loves um so even you know when you could say the harshest critic um being a, a motoring enthusiast is is going yeah these electric cars like set against this criteria are doing a really great job i think it says something 
But then you look at someone like Chris Harris, who drove the Taycan and absolutely loved it. You know, he yeah. he raved about it, about how good a car it was, and and just how amazing it handled and things like that. So, you know, Porsche. We always knew the Taycan was going to be something interesting coming from Porsche yeah, because absolutely. Well, it's hello, it's Porsche. You know, they make great cars. You know what they do, but you know what what were they going to do with an electric like an electric sports car? Um, and you know, everyone was blown away that it was just how good it was, but just just how unbelievably good it was and just how it, it just how well it handles and, and how good it is. You know, I wrote a story a while back about um, Target Tasmania have talked about building, uh, bringing in an electric car um, uh, class in the mm-hmm. future. And, you know, there, there's a couple cool. of them. Yeah, and and that's something that they'll definitely they're definitely interested in doing. And the Taycan is a, is a, is a prime example because of its range and ability um, to be able to compete. It will be, you know, it'll be something the, the year that one of those run, and I think it'll be a very very interesting car to watch um, because of just you know the potential of it and, and how potent it is. So you know we talk, we've talked about. Um, Obviously, that new Channel 9 network, which is now showing the, the Top Gear special, certainly keep an eye out for the episode where Chris Harris gets drives the take-in because it is, it's an amazing episode to watch. Um, the other thing and we did And here's of- the one person who fought against electric steering for, for the longest time, um, yeah. very much uh, all about the manual, all about the traditional. And um, so he isn't someone who, you know, I think... It's it's very easy to to fall into different camps. Go, oh look, I I love electric cars, I hate them, that kind of thing. And and he's very much a traditionalist when it comes to cars. And um, yeah, it it it's a great episode that one. I know which I know the one that you're talking about where he drives it. And um, I think it's a true testament to. Porsche and the brand and knowing what they they stand for and and designing a product that meets that. I think um, there's there's not. Some brands struggle with that over time, uh, but they're still one of the brands, like even the Macan and the KN, uh, as much as traditional um, Porsche owners maybe don't love them as much as uh, or don't see them as a, as a, you know, as a genuine product compared to the 911. Um they certainly are the benchmark when it comes to those other luxury cars. Every every time, every launch I've gone to for another competitor to the Porsche Macan, every designer and every engineer has said that they use the Macan as the benchmark. And um, I always think in the back of my head, it's uh, well, if everybody keeps using it as the benchmark, that 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 means it's a pretty good car. Mm, um, exactly. If that's what other brands are using to buy to yeah to develop their product. And everyone sort of laughed at Porsche when they first created the KN. And then Absolutely. it's like, well, you know, you, you, the KN has been a massive success for them. And then they bring out the, the Macan. And that's another massive success. I reckon I see more Macans driving around these days than I do KNs. You know, I think yeah. they're such a good looking car and they're, that they're quite practical for the size yeah. um, and what they offer and what they do, you know. But it's interesting, we're talking about the, the, the some of the other. You know, um, nominees for say luxury car. We right. talked about obviously that Mercedes and Porsche were the two runners up um, with the 911 and the EQC. But then the other finalists were X5 and X7 from BMW. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Cadillac had two other candidates as well, a CT, the CT5 sedan and obviously the, the XT6 um, SUV. And then Mercedes had GLE and GLS. Um, but an interesting one I, we picked up on before was that the Toyota Supra was under as a luxury car, which was an interesting, you know, class for it to be in. But I would have thought it would, it was also a finalist for performance cars. So, you know, it's good to see that fighting up against some of the other bigger names in in that class. And some somebody would have to to ask with tongue tongue and cheek. Well, well why wasn't the Z four there? <laughs> if the Supra is there, um, the Z four was there for performance car, um, but it was okay. a candidate, not a finalist. Mm. So you know, and the other finalist for luxury, or oh, sorry, performance car was the M eight. Now that's a work of art. That thing, oh, that's you know, beautiful. But, yeah, yeah, such a good looking car. But look, it's. Kudos to Kia um, to win two categories. Uh, it, particularly, it's the first time um, for a Korean brand to even, you know, win World Car of the Year, and, and that's we might not place as much importance here in Australia on those World Car Awards, but it is a testament to to, to show how far a brand like Kia has really come along in their development and their process of building. You know, starting to build great cars. Yeah, exactly, and they're just showing that now can they can now take it to the to the world market and mm. do do so well as a result. Yeah, that's right. Well, moving on. Um, so it looks like uh, some factories are looking to to reopen soon, particularly uh, US facilities like the Toyota, Honda, and Fiat Chrysler factories at the start of May, and their European counterparts at the end of April. Now. That's that's obviously showing a little bit of optimism at the moment. Not sure uh, how realistic that is. A lot of factories, like including GM and Ford, are working together and building ventilators at the moment. So their priority seems to be in building those ventilators rather than getting straight back into to producing product. But at the same time, it seems to be that some of the things which they're learning uh, from building those ventilators and ensuring safety for their workers, it looks like they might be able to apply some of those learnings to their car making, um, which I guess is promising for ensuring supply of vehicles to the rest of the world markets. Um, so I guess it's a, it's a good sign in general. But it's also given them time during the shutdown. They've been able to analyse how their factories work and, and where they can probably help to protect their workers and, and to be able to safely, you know, work in, in safe confines and, and socially distance and and be able to do the right thing and, and, and to be able to um, produce the product that they need to get them out, but also yeah. to do it, you know, safely. So we've been able to use that time to, to do that. But we've also seen that, um, you know, that that some of the, that both Europe and America are some of the hardest hit at the moment in terms of the numbers that are coming out, which are, which are pretty scary. So, yeah, um, yeah it's just, uh, it's all a bit, you know, a bit full on in terms of what we've been saying. Mm. But look, it's a, at least there is some sign at the moment in general, um, particularly here in Australia, we're looking at the other side of the coronavirus now, COVID-19, on how we, we start to recover from that and discussions on, well, you know, that, that rollout strategy of how do we start to um, come back to some sort of normality at some point. There's got to be a – you can't just – 
go back to everything open and you know forget social distancing there is a there is a process needed to to ensure that we don't get a second wave or, or have another you know we need to come back down to some sort of lockdown but it is uh it, it is good to see um, some of these companies because it is it, it's not very often you you get a forced shutdown an opportunity to sort of really look at how the operation works without needing to continue to meet production goals and, and numbers and everything like that. So there is a silver lining to this for a lot of companies to, to allow them to actually look at, well, is this the best way we're working? Is there some things that we can change? How can we make it better for workers or how can we make it better for customers at the same time? So there is a little bit of a silver lining, even though there is a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, I guess, very sad news, very negative news around it. Um, there are some some nice things um, that hopefully can come out of it. Yeah, we can only hope that um, you know we can start seeing some some flattening of the curve. You know, as we uh, as we proceed. That's right. Well, look uh, on to some. We'll, we'll stay along with the slightly down down downbeat news at the moment, but. Uh, into into the water motorsport um, overnight for us here. We're recording on on Easter Monday, thirteenth of April. Um, we we had news that uh, Sir Sterling Moss um, had had unfortunately passed away, and um, and many of um have said that you know he was the greatest F1 driver to never win a world championship. Um, which look is you know his his career um, throughout whether it's Formula One or across into different racing series he certainly was one of those um, remarkable races and um, when you when you listen back in his stories Mercedes shared um, and and the Formula One Instagram account shared a, an interview that um, they had between himself and Lewis Hamilton and and driving some of his original Formula One cars. And talking about how there was a different attitude amongst the you know races of that time, it was a lot more gentle. You know, it was, it was a gentleman's sport, and um, they're talking about the camaraderie around that, and, and how you know Sterling Moss and even Fangio were certainly amongst those those legendary um, races of that time. But very sad news uh, to hear overnight. Yeah, it's tragic to lose. You know, unfortunately, COVID is. <laughs> Has been a sad time for a lot of deaths, and 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 I mean, Sterling Moss was he wasn't a young man anymore, and he was getting no. on in, in age. He was ninety when he passed away, but you know, look, just looking at some of his specs, you know, his history of um, of starts and things like that, he was only really only active for ten years in terms of racing. Yeah. He did, yeah, he had sixteen wins and sixty. Um, 66 sort of starts, um, 24 podiums. Um, he raced in you know a whole variety of vehicles for different brands. You know, we obviously talked about them. Mercedes connection. He, he raced for Maserati and Van Wall, Cooper, Lotus. You know, but my memory of him was many many years ago. He came to Tasmania and actually drove in the in Target Tasmania in a in a Shelby Mustang. You know, it was. <laughs> That was my first, you know, you'd heard of Sterling Moss. He was a legend in those days, you know, because he, he'd been, you know, he had had such a profound person within Formula One. But for him to come to somewhere like little old Tassie and, and, and race in Targa in a in a Shelby Mustang, um, it was, you know, it was pretty amazing. I was going through some old footage the other day and, and actually skipped over it because um, it wasn't what I was looking for at the time. But I did capture it. 
uh, I did catch some of it and, and made a mental note that I must come back and I must grab, you know, I've been trying to convert some old uh, VHS tapes to digital, but I'm, I'm not sure I come back and grab that because it was some interviews with him and chats with him about him driving the Mustang during um, during Targa and, and things mm. and, mm. you know, and how he was how he was finding it and doing that sort of stuff. But, you know, as, as well as his Formula 1, um, time he he also raced in um 24 hour of Le Mans. uh he drove for for jag and mercedes and aston there and um he drove with jack brabham and, and an aston mm-hmm. martin back at 58 um he did 12 hours sebring um he did the Miglia. yeah um, i mean i was the Miglia. was it was a big for him he did that um Six times, uh, again driving for Jag, Mercedes. He won it with Mercedes in six in fifty five. Mm, and that's a lot. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. And then he drove for Maserati as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and he drove in the Monte Carlo in a in a Sunbeam. You know, and, and to show of how like he was somebody who was capable to drive basically anything fast. And, and I don't think – I haven't looked to try and find some comparable stats, but it just sounds impressive when you look at a, you know, his career record of races. So he started 529 races, and he won 212 of those. And to me, that just feels like that's an incredibly high win rate. That's not just podiums. That's not – you know, that's finishes or anything. That is – race wins um which is truly remarkable out of all of the different disciplines it wasn't you know all in f1 it wasn't all in one particular racing discipline this was across an incredibly um diverse range of different motor racing which is just remarkable and you don't really see that very you know very commonly at all these days you see and the other fact is he, he came out the other end of probably some of the darkest times of f1 and, and when it was probably at a you know almost at it utmost dangerous and he survived yeah you know he, yeah. there was a lot of guys that came out of that time that that just this weren't that lucky to to survive i mean he had a couple of serious accidents in his career but mm. to, to 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 come out the other end and and to continue to win afterwards um in those various disciplines that we talked about is really impressive so yeah. it's one of those and i don't look we, we do see some guys moving between um between the different um forms of motorsport but you know someone like like um moss i don't think we'll probably ever really see that kind of domination um you know in that in those varying degrees of sport that that Ever again, you know, guys will jump between, you know, Formula One or Indy or or um, sports car racing and things like that. But for someone like what Moss did, and and you know, to then have McLaren and Mercedes name a model after him as well, that famous, yeah. you know, uh, Mercedes McLaren SLR Sterling Moss yeah. edition, which I've been lucky enough to see one in person, is a is a stunning car. You know, you don't don't do that unless you've we left a real mark on the uh, on the industry, and you know it's it, it is a it is a loss for the sport um, to lose someone of, of his mm-hmm. um, his heritage. That's right, and look, I think it, it gives a a great um, insight to the type of person he was. When you look at um, there he did have the opportunity to win a to win a, a title, and um, he actually went and argued on the other person's behalf as to why that person shouldn't be disqualified because um, he, Moss thought that he actually 
didn't break any rules, breach any rules, and, and didn't deserve to be disqualified from the race. And um, that decide, you know, obviously ended up in uh, in Moss losing that that title, and and that would be the closest he'd come to to reaching, you know, possibly achieving that championship. And so that's, I think it's a it's a great sign of that era of racing and the type of person that Sterling Moss was and, and something that I don't think you'd very much see at all in, in most types of racing, high levels of racing, where you see a rival competing for a championship walk in and, and argue on your behalf um, to say why you shouldn't have uh, been disqualified. <laughs> I don't think you'd yeah. see that very often at all. And that's why I think so many people have talked about him. And it's been interesting. Quite a lot of my Geno friends have been sharing some some stories online on social in the last few days or in the last day or so since his passing about their their times that they've met him or have been able to chat to him and things like that. So, you know, it's really nice to see that those treasured memories being brought out and to read those stories that normally, you know, we don't always get to hear them, but it's, it's forced on... Um, you know, when it, it comes up, when someone of his caliber unfortunately passes away, and and it, it takes that to be able to hear some of these amazing stories that, you know, that he touched people in being able just just to spend time with them and just to chat with them uh, and share parts of his life with with them, and and they appreciate it so much. Absolutely. Well, look, uh, there's definitely uh, plenty of um, media out there to, to go and watch and interviews, books about Sterling Moss and, and his life and his racing career and highly recommended to um, to go and find those and read those. as they're, they're fantastic reads and watches. There's really not a bad bad one out there to try and to watch and to learn a little bit more about his, his history. But uh, moving on to, I guess, uh, more positive news um, in the motorsport world, Erebus Motorsport, which you might be uh, familiar with in uh, supercars and a number of different racing racing uh, categories, has uh, started up Erebus Medical, and um, it's an organization, organization put together by the Erebus team and um, to assist with the coordination, production, and supply of medical equipment. Uh, like negative air pressure boxes and um, face shields. So not only are they working with experts, medical experts, to to figure out a design, an effective design um, that they can produce, but they're also coordinating other people um, who are able to 3D print face masks or or producing face masks and um, organizing, you know, finding out where those items are needed. And it seems to be a – there's a Facebook group there and um, seems to be a great level of activity and um, lots of support going into the – you know, help helping them help our frontline uh, health workers, which is really positive to see. Yeah, it's been really good to see the, the just the number of not only motorsport, but we've also seen Ford come out this week and talk about um, what they're doing to help as well and be building face shields. Um, and, you know, the stuff that Erebus have been doing and, and a lot of the other motorsport teams with what they've been doing and getting involved so using their production facilities and particularly sort of 3D printing and stuff like that, um, it's been really, really positive to to see that. And just so many people that want to support it and help however they can. Um, we didn't really touch on it 
too much uh, the other week, but um, a good motorsport friend of mine has created his own um, system to help people as well, and he's created a non-for-profit uh, called Race Against COVID-19, um, and he's what he's done is, is helping to unite Australian motor, motorsport and automotive industries together to find people from all around Australia so that they can come together and help um wherever they can whether it be in logistics or construction or um production or anything like that to help wherever they can um and it's really worth if you want to get involved and you've got you think you've got some skills and, and you want to be able to help then you can go to his website um raceagainstcovid19.com.au and you can actually register and, and and help them by offering your services on, on where you can help um in this and be able to really um you know help wherever you can to help support um, and help build whatever it is and, ha and, and to really, you know, get involved to, to really um, fight against this disease where we can, you know, if you've got a, if you've got a speciality that you can, that you want to offer your services in and stuff like that, you know, they've been talking about different people helping to build face guards and things like that. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really good. And it's great to see so many people they've had a, a really interesting, um, huge amount of support within the first um 24 hours of the of the website going live which was almost two weeks ago now um they've had 44 they had 44,000 hits and 150 businesses slash individuals sign up so um it's really really good to see that so um again if you want to help jump to, jump on to raceagainstcovid19.com.au um i get ash to throw it in the the show notes um but yeah okay. it's it's a really really good um organization to, to to try and help people um and to help bring people together that that may have the ability to help but just not sure how they can um and you know are somewhere involved in that industry so yeah it's great to see more and more people getting involved in this now that's brilliant well, it's good to see, particularly uh, during all, all of this news, um, to see people coming together and organisations, particularly with uh, specific skill sets and adapting those. It's, uh, it's really great to see. Next up, uh, one of the things that we're seeing is um, the first race of the Supercars E-Series got off to a fantastic start um, just recently where the race was at Monza um, because of uh, iRacing doesn't have um, a huge number of Australian tracks. Uh, they've been using the opportunity to take uh, take these supercars and take these drivers to places where they usually uh, won't get the opportunity to race. And, um, of course, that, uh, that results into um, some pretty entertaining viewing for a lot of people tuning in and watching yeah it was fantastic um i made sure i tuned in i missed the the first part of the the first race um we decided to make the smart move and uh, try and do a supermarket shop late one evening to uh, to beat yeah. the crowds and stuff like that so <laughs> i missed missed the start of the first race but uh i uh, i caught the end which was obviously at, at phillip island but just the um thing that i couldn't that i just blew me away was I literally turned on the television and it looked like I was watching a, a normal telecast like the, yeah. you know, it, to, from a distance, it really looked 
like the production value of it was just amazing. Um, I know that there's a lot of people involved in the back end of this and are really trying to make it production-wise as best as they can um, to really give people a great show. And it was absolutely fascinating to watch you know all these cars driving at phillip island and then you know hitting <laughs> heading down the front straight and then obviously <laughs> you know having all these accidents and shunts and and and, yeah. and things like that so we had two two races at, at phillip island um and scotty mclaughlin obviously dominated the the first one and and, and did really really well um and then obviously watching them go through pit stops and and stuff like that, um, you know, it was it was really really quite interesting to see. And then the other really good thing we actually got to see was um, uh, we actually got they had cameras on almost all the drivers, so we actually got to see them at different times during the night behind yeah, the wheel of their setups. And and mm-hmm. the trout the amount of effort that guys had gone to to create. Um, put their sponsor signs up in the background. You know, some guys had TV monitors with their um, sponsors being splashed up on up on the on the screens and and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. it was, you know, it was really really fascinating to watch. We even had our first, um, you know, penalty uh, where they had to get the driving standards observer in and and be able to get. Um, uh, him in to basically penalise one of the drivers that, that caused an accident in the, in the last corner. Um, he took the win, but then he had it was penalised and lost it, so it went back to Jack LeBrock, <laughs> and he won, the, he won the second race. And then from yep. there, they took him, like you said, Ash, off to Monza, mm-hmm. um, and that was, look, if you haven't seen it, you haven't seen highlights, go and watch it. It was unbelievable, like some of the biggest car crashes we've ever seen, um, you know, it was just massive. And then it was really interesting because they talked about the way that this is set up with iRacing is that they have an ability normally to, to hit a reset button and you can mm-hmm. reset back back and effect- effectively help fix the car. But they had limited that to uh, not allow drivers to do it. But they had, because of the amount of carnage in this race, it was turned on to a certain degree. So there are some <laughs> cars that were fixed and some that were missing panels and, and things like that. So, um, but yeah, that, that race at Monza was absolutely brilliant. And um, Scotty won that one as well and, and is now points leader in, in, the, in this championship. But um, we, we're heading off again this week for, for another round. But some interesting news that has emerged this week is that David Reynolds has been replaced by Will Brown. Uh, Will Brown, right. who is who is David's co-driver, mm-hmm. um, has subbed in for um, Reynolds this week, and and um, uh, will be will be driving for him. Will be driving him instead, which is great to see Will having a go because you know he's a, he's a future champion and stuff like that. I know Dave was struggling a little bit with getting his head around it, but you know mm-hmm. giving Will a go is is really good. So he will debut. Um, this Wednesday night at, at seven o'clock. But the other thing they've done as well, they've changed the um, the way the next round will run. You'll actually be able to watch qualifying. Qualifying was held off camera um, last week, so we didn't actually get to see it. Um, but they'll be driving at Silverstone and Barcelona uh, in Spain uh, over four races. Uh, qualifying begins great at six. Tracks. Yeah, great tracks. It'll be great, great to see supercars on it. Um, and then, uh, then your racing will start at seven, um, and then there'll be three timed qualifying sessions um, for race one, three, and four. Uh, the results of race one at Silverstone will then determine the reverse 
grid for race two. I'm loving these reverse grid ideas. It's uh, it's really good to see and um, oh, it makes it makes it makes it exciting. It um it almost yeah. makes you wish that we could see more of this grid style. Um, applied in the in the actual race series because it just makes it for some highly highly entertaining racing. And it's also the charging that you see from you know running from further back in the the field, the guys that have mm. you know have done well but then have been put to the reverse of the grid. Watching them charge through in their times and and the passing and stuff like that. But yeah, for a production quality, uh, it is absolutely brilliant. And you know the the beauty of it is that you can watch it. Um, Online, uh, on Fox Sports, on KO, Sky Sports if you're over in New Zealand. And then if you want, you can watch it on um, Facebook. Um, a lot of the team's pages have been um, uh, been streaming it as well as Supercar's actual Facebook page. But, yeah, it's it's absolutely brilliant. So, yeah, um, and I can't wait to, to watch it again this week. And, you know, we've... The ability with us being in lockdown, one of the greatest things is that, you know, we've got that ability to watch stuff. We have been a little bit, you know, struck not having any sport on TV. So having this ability to watch this stuff live and prime time. That was the other thing I'm yeah. thinking about. Watching this stuff That's in right. prime time was absolutely brilliant. Um, I know there might be some a few arguments in households that, that may have the <laughs> have the ability to have multiple devices. But, um, well, who would have thought it's going to be MasterChef versus an e-racing series. That's, yes. that's the argument that's going to be happening. And that's the ratings it's going to be up against. It's going to be, yeah. you know, it's quite interesting. But, yeah, so there's time. the time races are interesting as well. So they're running uh, – race one will be at Silverstone. Um, on the GP layout, it'll be 15 minutes. Race two, again, at Silverstone, will be the um, same layout, 20 minutes. And then Catalonia will run um, in the historic layout, uh, for 15 and then race four is Catalonia again same layout but for 20 minutes so um, yeah it should be quite interesting to um, to watch again this this weekend and um, I know or this week sorry I think there'll be a lot of um, I know there was talk that they were trying to um, be able to talk to more of the drivers um, I know that, that not everyone was set up to be able to be um, piped straight in and be able to talk to the the commentators, which again did an absolutely brilliant job, and it was great to to have them, you know, talking to the guys during the race and um, and stuff like that, and and just to get their you know their reaction um, directly away. They 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 also um, directly um, feeding into the driving standards officer as well, um, Craig Baird. And all this sort of stuff. So yeah, the ability to, and then they had pit reporters as well, um, which was really good to have. And you know, it just means that with so, with it all happening so fast and and things like that, it, it's good that you've got all these multiple people um, covering different aspects on it. Um, but good old Scotty McLaughlin's been having a really good week. He's uh, actually had another um, podium finish in another. Um, as well as racing in the supercars I racing, he's racing in the IndyCar I racing, and he finished um, finished second this week in his third third race for for uh, the IndyCar racing series as well. So um, he's doing like he's really got a career well. in, uh, in in virtual racing as well, um, yeah. <laughs> as well There's as nothing uh, this racing. I can't do that. You know that he he's just so talented. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to see you know him doing really well and and the talk from all the other um, series around the world. You know, there's the SRO guys from um, 
the GT3 series overseas. They're starting up their online series soon. Um, NASCAR is running theirs. IndyCar is running theirs. There's a sprint car series. It's just amazing how many people are actually working in this um, in this in this space, and it's great. It's just you, you're sport for choice again, really, at the moment with with so much stuff that's going on. Oh, absolutely, and um, I'm so glad that we're getting some really great, entertaining uh, races out of it as well. Yeah, it's uh, great. To, it's great TV. That's right. Well, look, uh, if you're not tuning in, uh, or if you if you're if you're looking for something else to be watching, um, I guess Fast and Furious is. Uh, Certainly a, a movie series that I'm sure a lot of us have seen, a lot of us roll our eyes at, but, you know, secretly enjoy. But um, if you are looking for something that's car-related and equally or arguably worse than um, the Fast and Furious movies, but it's still entertaining nonetheless, um, the, the Drive.com have shared a, a list of, um, of wannabe films that have come and gone over the time and um, I'm kind of afraid to admit that I've actually seen a handful of these. And, I was going to um, say, Ash, we didn't actually get a chance to chat beforehand. I want to know how many you've seen. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I can happily admit that I haven't seen, I don't think, any of the bike ones, um, but I'm happy to admit that I reckon I've seen almost every one of the car ones. <laughs> yeah, a couple, and- there's a couple of shockers in there, but there's also mm-hmm. a couple of actually quite good hidden talents in there so well look the first one that i will admit that i i have seen is the movie red line that came out in 2007 um which probably got more publicity from um the comedian during a promotional yeah (laughs) during a promotional event um eddie griffin crashed the and and wrote off um an enzo um during that promotional event and um so that was where probably all the attention went because it didn't definitely didn't show in the box office it had a a 26 million dollar um us dollar budget and only recouped about 7 million from the us and 1.3 from international and um probably the only only reason why i'd recommend seeing this movie is because of the cars that are in it um the one of the people who was financing um, and who wrote the film um, before the 2008 recession um, actually had a lot of his personal cars in the film, um, including an Enzo, as well as a, a huge number of different exotic cars. I think there was, uh, I'm forgetting them right now, but um, a Carrera GT, like. Think of 2007, any supercar or hypercar that you could possibly want in a film, and it was featured in it. Um, Pretty sure the there was story- a Lego in there as well. Yeah, the story was absolutely terrible, really, really bad. Um, but for the cars, because they are real, because the sounds were real, um, it's, it's honestly a guilty pleasure watch um, simply because, yeah, those hero cars were real and um yeah it's something that you don't really see very often even in big big budget films um most of those will use you know a hero car and then you know um use some form of a kick car or something like that so terrible watch the trailer is just as equally bad it's got a zero percent rotten tomato score um but you have to say having real cars in a movie like that it's still nice 
And you go to the other end of the spectrum and, and look, I understand it's, it's on the list, but I followed this film fairly closely because, well, one for, well, for two reasons. One, because I'm a massive fan of Aaron Paul. Uh, and the other one mm-hmm. was because it yeah. was, it was going to debut the new Mustang when it was, yes. when it was announced. So this film was going to be the big screen debut of the Mustang, which is the need for speed movie, which is based obviously off the game. Um, but had a really good, cool storyline. Um, you know, guys, a street racer gets caught up in a in a street race. Uh, his best mate is killed. Um, he gets framed for his for his death, and then he's out for revenge, but uh, and to clear his name. But it, it's a it's a great film um, in terms of just the, the 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 car that they build. The Mustang um, sounds amazing, and the footage oh, of it driving unreal. through. It's good. and some of the best car chase scenes that you'll you'll see. Um, and you know, there's a there's a whole bunch of exotics um, at the start and then at the end. Um, but the you know, there's a couple of really good highlights. The the Mustang racing across America, almost like a, a sort of cannonball kind of style of thing. And then there's also you know the the classic muscle car race at the start, which is um, very very interesting and well shot. And there's actually an article online um, from the filmmaker talking about how they made that film. Um, and what they used, and they used a massive amount of cameras to cover it. But the other part of that film is that there's obviously these supercars, and like Ash was talking about, building these kit cars that are effectively, you know, a, 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 a metal chassis with this yeah. fiberglass finish over the top. Um, and you, you know, with continuity errors, sometimes you actually do see a couple of them. But yeah, the film itself is is really quite good um and it's a hidden gem in terms of if you've never seen it um it was great on the big screen um i happily admit that i own it on blu-ray uh and love it because it's you know it's such a good film there was talk of maybe a sequel at some stage that would be pretty cool to see well it, um, well, it earned good money so it earned yeah so it had a 66 million dollar budget it earned 43 million in the u.s and 100 and just short of 160 million internationally so look it's not a marvel <laughs> film but it um certainly got back its cost and, and then some. Yeah, it made, and, it made um, some money at least. And because it's a need, for, because it's Need for Speed, which I always saw the Fast and Furious films were always going after that kind of Need for Speed vibe right at the very beginning. And then they sort of, you know, they went down their own path. But the Need for Speed movie itself actually for those people who have played particularly the the earlier need for speed films there's a lot of great references and easter eggs to the video games whether it's down to the um the speedometer that's that's digitally overlaid in some of the screens um the the way that the police interactions work there's some camera angles yeah there's just it's really cleverly done and um yeah look it's again most car movies are not great films, but in terms of the action and everything, as Joel was saying, yeah, it's a, it's not a bad watch um, on there. It's certainly out of this list. It's certainly one of the better ones, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. And, and just to cover off the list quickly for those listening, we talked about Redline. We talked about Need for Speed. Let, let's start with the uh, the other not so good ones: is Biker Boys, which is obviously about <laughs> motorbikes. Talk, um, Street Racer, which I think I don't think I've ever seen. Two hundred mile per hour, I think I have somewhere, but I don't think I've ever watched. Getaway, which has got um, Selena Gomez in it. Um, and then the other end of the spectrum, in terms of probably another good one along Need for Speed, is Overdrive. Now it's another film that 
has never really. Yeah, I'm on um, the fence on this one. You're on the I'm fence, sure. okay? Yeah. I I'd heard about it, read about it. Um, it kind of the thing that it, its biggest benefit is that it came out. I'm pretty sure just after one of the Need for Speeds that had. Um, Scott Eastwood in it. So he was kind of already known um, for Oh, being, you mean Fast and Furious, yeah. At the, yeah, um, just after the Fast and the Furious yeah. came came out um, with him in it. And he's he's definitely a better character in this than he was in The Need for Speed. But mm-hmm. it's essentially a, it's a, another car chase, car stealing film, but it doesn't have a bad storyline. Um, it's all shot in Europe. Um you know, the biggest, besides the great collection of cars, is the a fantastic Anna de Armas. Um, she's in it, and that's a, a massive draw card for me as well as the cars. Um, and, yeah, it's 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 a good film. It's got a really it's, you know, your typical kind of car-stealing story. You know, you've got to steal a car, and then you're trying to steal a collection of cars. Um, and But, yeah, it's it's well shot. Um uh, the hero car is a is a classic Bugatti, which is which is an interesting choice. Um, but beautiful yeah, it, car, it, yeah, beautiful car, but really nice car collection uh, across the board. Um, and yeah, well shot. Um, the storyline is it, yeah, it's not too bad, but yeah, it's an interesting list in terms of what what's there. Um, you know, there, there's been a few articles this week online of people talking about your favourite car movies and things like that. But these are, you know, these are sort of eight films that if you've got some time and you want to watch something a bit different, um, then, you know, these are these are worth having a look at. Look, definitely what my pick is, is to watch Need for Speed Overdrive, <laughs> check out Redline, and then if you really interested maybe check the others <laughs> if you've got some time to, if you're desperate time if you're really bored yeah and uh think better to do <laughs> maybe consider putting the other ones on um yeah. but no it's it's look there are some gems in there there's there are some films that you just yeah go it's uh a product of um, wanting to capitalize on a, on a pretty popular genre. There's definitely um, an audience out there for it. Just find it. Just needs to find, um, you know, its legs. And some of these films have had, you know, pretty good runs in the home video market. You know, the online rentals and Netflix and that kind of thing. Um, Overdrive, you may have seen on Facebook spread around different car groups because there is one scene early in the film. It doesn't really spoil anything that they're. Um, they're they're coming up onto a truck that's transporting a car and um to get in front and trying to slow the truck down they park this bmw n3 in front and you know there's a bit of a, a scene around it and um the character tells them you know to to accelerate that kind of thing and it comes up to a really tight close-up of the dash and it and the the dash shot is meant to show the 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 engine revving, you know, up to six seven thousand RPM. But unfortunately for that shot, it must have been a late addition because the camera person must have just jumped in the car, turned it on, and gave it a bit of a rev with the camera there. Because if you look closely at that that at that shot, you'll see the engine check light on, the park brake is also on and the speedo is at zero. Um, yet apparently they're doing, you know, 60, <laughs> 70 miles per hour. And it's like, gee, that's that's pretty amazing. Um, I didn't know a BMW could do that. 
um, Boston Park and obviously in accessory <laughs> mode. So, yeah, it's a, it's a tongue-in-cheek and that's probably, for me, I've seen that passed around a number of car groups, but it's just uh, one of those things, if you are really passionate about these cars and you do know a lot about these cars, you will, you know, it's this, it's you know, it's a nice little hunt uh, to find those little continuity issues or, you know, things where... Um, things don't necessarily make sense if you know those cars and how they operate but overall you know it's just one of those most of these are switch off your brain and just enjoy the spectacle <laughs> yeah exactly and that's what it's about you know some of yeah. those are really quite good you know but uh yeah look if you if you check out the list tell us what you think you know drop us a line and and tell us what your favorite you know movie car movie is that's that's been made it can go back to you know the early days of things like grand prix or you know the original italian job or something mm-hmm. as recent as ford versus ferrari or you know one of the Going latest fast seconds Gone in 60 Seconds is still a classic. Even the original is as well. Um, part of my cleanup uh, in the last few weeks have been uh, going through a whole lot of stuff and just pulled out a whole lot of DVDs, including my um, DVD copy of Gone in 60 Seconds. I really need a mm. Blu-ray version of that, I reckon. But even some old um, car videos and um, remembering some old um car series videos some stuff that came out of new zealand and some australian stuff back in the uh back in the you know late 90s early 2000s some interesting stuff that was created so um yeah this list brought back a few memories reading through it during the week <laughs> yeah definitely well look um that's that's all we've got to to talk about uh this week that's there's a few other things that have, have happened in the news but they're the ones that we uh thought were most worth talking about uh, Joel, what have you got uh, coming up at the moment for this week? Uh, this week I'll be looking at more classic cars <laughs> as I edit up all my videos from uh, last nice. week for the Shannon stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I also need to get back and finish off uh, my session time with um, with with uh, Dirt Rally 2. Uh, I need to finish off uh, my review for that. Um, so that's on my uh, my plan for, for this week. What have you got in the garage, Ash? Are you dropping off the BM this week? Yeah, so dropping off the BMW and um, picking up the Mitsubishi Outlander plug-in hybrid. So, oh, the, um, the plug-in the hybrid. Fair, oh, that'll be yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm intrigued so to a, see what that, that's like. Uh, I think that'll be uh, interesting to hear um, your thoughts on next week's show. Yeah, looking forward to it. I, I drove it when it first came out and uh, that probably would be oh, 2012 2013 mm-hmm. so i'll be definitely keen to see what has you know you know driving that car in the context of today um so yeah it's going to be a bit of a change up from the from the bm um but yeah as always i always look forward to driving a, a hybrid or an electric car of some sort It'd be interesting to see. I know Mick's got the Stinger. I'm not sure what he's swapping out to, but I'm sure he'll update us during the week. But, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to hear what he's been driving as well when he gets back mm-hmm. on, hopefully, next week. Um, we, did, we did have a sneaky talk about uh, – he did mention that his the Stinger, the 330S, has uh, 225 tyres on the rear for a real drive sedan like that. It's pretty potent. And um, hilariously, the the entry level two series that I'm driving at the moment has wider two three five tires, and it's a front wheel drive car. Um, so we couldn't help but laugh at that little comparison. Um, you would think, it, at the very least, the the tire widths would be swapped swapped around on those two cars. Yeah, it'd be interesting back to back comparison. I think it'd yeah. be uh, be good to do. But um, yeah, in the meantime, don't forget to jump online and and rate and review us online to help us um, move up the tree and be able to be heard by by a few more people. 
Absolutely. And um, if you have any questions or if you want to know, um, if you want us to review any particular car or, you know, get our thoughts on anything that you're thinking about buying, uh, send us an email at shows, S-H-O-W-S, at dailyautofix.com or, you know, send us a message on Instagram at, at dailyautofix. Um, and also keep an eye out on our Instagram account. We'll be sharing details of a, of a Belkin in-car tech pack giveaway that we will be doing and um, we'll be deta- detailing uh, more of that. Uh, this week so keep an eye out for that um, but thanks again Joel you can find Joel Strickland on Instagram or Twitter at Joel Strick Photo um, as always his work uh, it's great to watch and uh, to see when he shares it um, and also to get that behind the scenes so um, yeah make sure you go and follow him and um, yeah thanks for joining us uh, Joel Thanks, Ash. Good to be back on again. No worries. And um, if you want to follow more of what I'm doing, you can just follow us at uh, Daily Auto Fix. And, um, yeah, until next week, stay safe and uh, see you on the road. Or actually, <laughs> not this week. Uh, maybe not until COVID-19, but we'll see you virtually on the road. How about that? Until Sounds then. Sounds good. See you next time. Bye. <laughs>